Let's go. Welcome to another episode of the Let's Go Hockey Podcast. I'm your co-host, Danny Heath. And today we had on the oldest NHL rookie of all time, Bobby Robbins at 32 years of age. But before we jump into that interview with me, as usual, is... Pete Kamen of Elevated Hockey. And yeah, we talked to Bobby Robbins today. I think this is a really uh, interesting and important uh, interview. I mean, he talked about a lot of different things. And, and you know, in all honesty, he, he was really transparent. He opened up a lot about his, his journey, not just on the ice, but some of the struggles he had in his personal life, uh, you know, drugs, tobacco, alcohol, depression, things like, you know, things that he battled, uh, the demons he battled for a long time off the ice. And really talk through how he overcame those and that how he let that led him, you know, finding his faith and, and how that helped fuel his, his drive back to the NHL as the 32 year old rookie. So I think it's a really uh, not only interesting story, but a really important story with some, you know, just loaded with some awesome advice for, for young, really anybody, but specifically for players and their own, their own lives and career paths. I think it's a good, a good listen. So I'm excited for sure. people to give it a listen. Yeah, I loved, uh, he kind of starts off with just talking about a coach who believed in him and how that that sparked his whole career. So give this one a listen for sure. Check him out, uh, bobbyrobbins.com. Check out all that stuff. We'll have, should it's all linked below, so check all that out. But uh, make sure you give us some love. Hit that like button. And what do you say, coach? Let's go. I say let's go. Let's go. This interview was brought to you by our friends at hockeywolf.com. If you love the game of hockey or just know someone who does, you need to visit HockeyWolf.com today. HockeyWolf has physical locations in Montana and Washington State, but if you aren't lucky enough to live near one of their stores, you can always visit their website and place an order at any time. They have everything you need from skates and sticks to shower slips and hoodies. And for all of you coaches and organizational leaders out there, listen up because Hockey Wolf provides some of the best team sales services in all of North America. So if your team needs new helmets, maybe some gloves, boxes of tape, even some warm up suits and training gear, Hockey Wolf has you covered. So like we always say, go support Hockey Wolf because they support us. That's H-O-C-K-E-Y-W-O-L-F.com. And hey, for all of you lacrosse players out there, make sure you visit lacrossewolf.com too. All right, let's go to the interview. Originally from Peshtigo, Wisconsin, he played junior hockey for the Great Falls Americans in my state of Montana in the AWHL and then the Tri-City Storm of the USHL. After juniors, he played NCAA D1 hockey for UMass Lowell, where he was the team captain his senior season. After college, he embarked on a nine-year pro career that included stops in the AHL, ECHL, and a couple different European professional leagues, as well as culminating in a stop in the NHL. After returning f- to the U.S. from Europe, he played in the HL for several seasons before having the distinction of being the oldest rookie to ever make an opening day roster in the NHL when he debuted with the Boston Bruins in 2014 at the age of 32. Just recently, he was announced that he made the Providence Bruins all-time team. And now with the skates hung up, he's focused on player development through mentoring young players with a combination of hockey and faith. Bobby Robbins, welcome to the Let's Go Hockey podcast. How's it going today? Let's go. What's up, guys? Good to see you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's always a pleasure to have not only a fellow Tri-City Storm alumni, uh, to come on here, but then also one of my one of my friends, I'd say we we've been connecting over the past few months, year or so, and it's been good to get to know you. But 
something I don't know about you is, is what, uh, what got you hooked on hockey? Like what, what was the thing that looking back, like this is when my love for hockey started. I think what got me hooked on hockey, I was up in, up in Northern Wisconsin. I was actually in karate of all things as a five-year-old and uh, that would come, come in handy later in my career, I think. But um, my mom asked me if I wanted to play hockey at five years old, I'd have to quit karate. And I said, yeah, I'll give it a try. And we didn't come from a hockey family at all and had really no experience or knowledge of hockey. And as soon as I got out there on the ice, just feeling, and I started on an outdoor rink up in a little town called Marinette, Wisconsin, about an hour north of Green Bay. And just getting out there and feeling, um, feeling that cold winter air on my face and feeling that the ice beneath my feet, it was just always just a, a special place where I felt finally at peace. And for me, uh, I grew up uh, a person of, of color. So I was in a, you know, in a predominantly white community in Northern Wisconsin. So I always felt a little different, always looked different and struggled with identity issues throughout my, my youth. And as soon as I found hockey, I was like, this is my identity. This is it. I'm a hockey player. This is what I was born to do. And um, man, just fell in love with it. And and as soon as I as soon as I hit, I think the peewee level back in those days, that peewee is when you could start checking. That's when I really fell in love with hockey. When I was like, I can run people over out here and <laughs> put my shoulder through the middle of their chest and lay them out and take their puck. I was like, this is my kind of sport. And I just really fell in love with the the checking and the body um, physicality of hockey and just the speed of it. So it's love a great it. sport. Because you're yeah. you're a big guy too, right? Like how how big are you when you're playing? You know, when you were playing in the NHL, what was your? Yeah, a little bigger than my playing weight now, but my playing weight then was six one two twenty, pretty shredded at about eight percent body fat. So, so you're, uh, you're you're moving guys around, throwing the body weight around a little bit, huh? Yeah, where um, were you a big kid in Pee Wee's too? And you're saying you're that was you're just a little bigger than some of the other kids, so you could take advantage of that. You no, know, yeah, I was, I was bigger, but then I, I was a late bloomer. I really didn't hit puberty till I was 17. So my, right before my junior year, I really grew from a boy into a man almost o- overnight. It seemed like over those three or four months in the summer. And so as a youngster, as you know, as the uh, peewee started, I was kind of a bigger guy, but then everybody else developed and I, I didn't. And so throughout Bantams and um, into high school hockey, I was just kind of the, had to be the hardworking guy and a bit of the, the grinder, the mucking and grinding in the corners. And, and that's where, where I really developed that, that love for body checking. But yeah, I wasn't always the biggest guy, but just for some reason could always play those angles and, and, and checking came naturally to me. Nice. So after, after high school, then you had that, you had that growth spurt, you're still loving hockey, you're having some success in Wisconsin and, uh, you know, you, you jumped into junior hockey at uh, how old were you when you jumped into juniors? Yeah. So I was 18. I graduated from Peshtigo high school and realized I wanted to play junior. And this was pre-internet here. The internet, I guess it just came out around that time. And so we didn't really know what was going on. I, I was pretty clueless to the junior hockey world other than, you know, you go to a bunch of tryouts and, and try and make some teams. And I ended up going to about four or five tryouts in the North American league and the USHL. And, just kept getting cut from all these tryouts. And um, that was actually around that time was the first hockey fight I'd ever gotten in. Back in those days, fighting was a little more, a little more part of the game and part of tryouts than it is nowadays, which is a good thing, I think. But back in those days, the advice was go to a tryout, get in a fight and just play good hockey. And so that's where I really learned to hone that part of my game too. And got started getting in fights at tryouts and 
but I just, you know, I don't think I was quite there to that level and, and kept getting cut. And it was a real trial for me. And, um, now I work with a lot of, a lot of students who are going through those same things. Now, junior hockey's a, it's, it's tough sometimes. And, um, finally I, I got on, you know, found a coach that really believed in me out in your neck of the woods in Montana, went to a tryout, um, in Somerset, Wisconsin for the Great Falls Americans. And first shift really, really beat a guy up out there. Second shift took the puck coast to coast. I'm a righty far side tuck coming down the left side. And at that intermission, the coach, Ricard Gronberg, who's now, he was the former coach of the Swedish national team and now coaches in the Swiss uh, A-League. He came down, he looked at me in the eyes, he said, Bobby, you want to be on my team? I was like, yes, I want to be on your team. I love and it. He said, yeah, he goes, don't fight anymore, man. He goes, you're a good hockey player. Just play hard-nosed hockey and you're on my team. So that was it, just finding one coach who believed in me. And I think that combined with just the, the attitude that I wasn't going to quit, I was just going to keep showing up to tryouts and, and try and make those teams. Um, got on that team out in the America West Hockey League Tier 3. Back in those days, it was the USHL North American League and then the America West Hockey League, the, the infamous A-Dub, and uh, went out there to the Great Falls Americans and, and really started my hockey journey, my climb up the hockey ladder out there in Montana. I love it. Not a bad place to... Uh... Not a bad place to start off. Um, and then you kind of, you made that jump to the USHL. Let's talk about that jump. And one, I'm curious to say why, why Tri-City versus where being a Wisconsin guy, was Green Bay around? Was that an option back then? Or where did that, where did Tri-City, how did they recruit you? How did you become uh, part of their team? And were they one of those teams that uh, cut you? Well, one of the teams that cut me was the Green Bay Gamblers. I wanted to be a gambler so bad. You know, I grew up playing in the Green Bay area for the Green Bay Bobcats and went to a tryout. And then the reality is I, I wasn't good enough to play in the USHL yet. I needed that. I needed that year at tier three. And that's something I think a lot of, a lot of players and a lot of parents look at uh, the levels like, Oh, my son needs to be at this, at this level. And, you know, sometimes you got to be at the level where, where you're going to play. And that's, that's what happened to me. I went out and played tier three in the America West hockey league and got a great coach who really, who really taught me how to be a power forward and a tough player and a good player and really taught me a lot of skills and um, instilled work ethic. And that team actually in Montana, the great falls Americans, we had, we won the championship that, that year. Let's go. Not a big deal. And I was like my first year out, like on the hockey ladder, I won a championship. I thought that was just going to be the way it was, but that was the only championship I ever won. So uh, <laughs> started so, with a bang and yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. um, I, I kept developing that year. And, you know, we had three guys from that team playing the NHL, myself, David Prince, a big Swedish defenseman and, and Patrick Dwyer, who ended up having a real long career with the Carolina hurricanes. So, you know, I think it was a combination of great scouting, bringing in the right players, great coaching. We won the championship. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, um, teams want champions. They want winners. And you win championships and guys, guys get contracts, guys get to jump to the next level. And before uh, that season even ended, I had some, some USHL teams knocking and, and I had a few offers. And my coach, Ricard, he was really, um, really amazing because I was tough and I was fighting some, some big boys out there but he wanted to make it very clear that I wasn't just a fighter. Like I was a player and that's how tri city storm came into the mix. And uh, coach Jim Hillman was there and he said, you know, in, in our interviews, he said, listen, I'm never going to ask you to fight Bobby. I'm, that's not the kind of player I am. We know you're a hard nosed player and a valuable uh, member of this team. We just want, we want you out there on the ice and, you know, you can handle all that other stuff. So I think that was just, um, 
that was reassuring to hear from me and ended up signing a tender that next year in the USHL. So pretty amazing to go from, from tier three um, junior one year getting cut from tryout camps and then going and getting a signing a tender in the USHL and not even going to tryout camps, just showing up for, for preseason training. Um, just uh, that's all coaching. And, um, you know, I think uh, one thing I try to instill in players is that the mentality of working as hard as you can every day and getting incrementally better, like a millimeter better just for today, for these 24 hours or for this hour that we're on the ice. And as you add those up and you add that up over a week and then over a month and over an eight month season, I've seen it in my own life and I've seen it in other people's lives and careers. You can make these huge, huge jumps just by making incremental um, amounts of growth every single day. And that's what happened to me. Yeah. And I think I love that, that, that notion and, and, you know, your story of, of, of not giving up and getting better and, and taking that opportunity of, of two years of development at that, those junior ranks that set you up to go and play division one then. So you're, you know, fast forward past your junior, junior career and you're, you're going out to, uh, to UMass Lowell and you're out, you're playing there for four seasons, including your senior year where you were a captain. So maybe if you can talk to us a little bit about kind of your views on like your uh, on leadership on and off the ice within a team setting. Um, and really like, what kind of, what kind of a captain were you and, and what are your, your thoughts for the listeners out there of, of like how a good captain should be for, you know, leading the ship, leading that locker room. Yeah, that was quite a, quite an amazing journey at UMass Lowell over those four years. You know, I went there after playing in the USHL and even back then, you know, there was a, a status that came with the USHL. Like we had a bunch of guys who came from, some came from high school, some came from, the Eastern Junior Hockey League, but you just knew the USHL boys. And I came in there and, and after, you know, a bunch of practices, the first game rolls around. I was like, oh, this is it, D1 hockey, and I'm a healthy scratch. <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, that's the worst, a healthy scratch. You're healthy, they write your name on the depth chart, and they scratch it off, just a healthy scratch. And um, I'm sitting there, and I'll never forget, I was, I was sitting around, the team went off to play somewhere, they went on a, like a, a day trip. And I was sitting around with the other healthy scratches and we were just sitting around bickering and complaining. And we're like, Oh, this coach, he's just uh, this and that. What an idiot, this guy, I'm way better than this guy. I should be in the lineup. And I really had a, a moment where I stepped back and I had almost an epiphany in my freshman year. I said, wow, I'm, I'm complaining right now. And I'm in a group of, of people and we're complaining and it's just the negativity is growing. And I remember that moment, I kind of took a step back and I said, you know what? I'm never going to complain ever again. And if coach isn't going to play me, I'm going to show up tomorrow. I'm going to show up on Tuesday practice like an absolute wild man. And I'm going to play like it's game seven. And so two lessons I learned early on my freshman year that I was going to, anytime I got the opportunity, I was going to work a hundred percent and I'll work anybody around me. And um, I knew that as long as I did that and had a positive attitude and didn't complain. So that was another one. I said, I will never complain again. I showed up that next Tuesday and I was just a freshman, you know, a, a nobody really on the depth chart. And I was just playing with snarl and getting in guys' faces and taking the puck hard to the net, stopping, you know, giving a, giving a poke at the goalie and just, you know, finishing my checks and playing just hard nose, hard nosed hockey, relentless puck pursuit and really amped up my, my practicing where I say I was practicing at 95% where nobody could tell, but me, but I was, I found like there was another level I could take it to, 
to just lay it out there like it was game seven. I know that's the cliche, like, oh, play it like, like it's game seven. But I just found this way. I think it was out of frustration and out of, out of anger, maybe out of resentment. The coach wasn't playing me. And I just went out there and got in guys' faces and, and practiced hard. And, you know, that, you know, there was a day of that. Then in two days, three days, Friday comes around, and guess what? I was in the lineup and, and never left the lineup after that except for, you know, some suspensions for questionable hits here and there. But uh, I think they are clean. But I guess we always call them checking, checking too hard penalties. <laughs> um, but yeah, just getting that, getting that mentality and then getting in the lineup and then it was just buying into the program and you know, that I had never really trained like real training. This was right on the cusp of, of the internet knowledge and people really learning how to train, you know, that's, we, uh, Mike Boyle's out there. So we big on the East coast. So that's the first time I got into that training style of Mike Boyle. I had never knew what a dynamic warmup was. You know, I thought a warmup was you tape your stick and you, you tie your skates and you get out there. So just buying into that, um, that philosophy and, and grew, I really grew into a man. So I was, you know, I went there six one two hundred, and, you know, ended up leaving six one two twenty, and really figured out how to, how to manage my, uh, my training and my body. And all the while, so I had the body aspect. I'm, I'm learning hockey strategy. I'm watching a lot of game film and I'm developing every year. And, you know, over the years, just sophomore year came and, improved, battled some injuries, junior year came and really had a breakthrough year, scored, scored nine goals, nine assists in hockey East. And um, I'll never forget Ken Bramvold, who's now the skills coach for the Boston Bruins. He said to me, he's my, he was my classmate, big defenseman from Norway. He said, Bobby, if you double that amount of goals next year, you'll be in the NHL. And I was like, what do you mean double that amount of goals? So I took out the calculator, added them up 18. I was like, all right, 18 goals. (laughs) I scored in the NHL. Come on, and I, like I checked it out. Like I looked at all the guys who were power forwards, and you know, I'm like, wow, that guy scored 18 goals. He's in the NHL, and that's where something clicked in my mind. And I was like, I'm so close. It was always this dream. Like we all have that dream of playing in the NHL, but that's my my soft, uh, junior year at Lowell is where I really realized it. I was like, this is really a reality, and I just got dialed in. I took it to the next level. And I really embraced um, training and giving it everything. I pretty much committed myself. I think to reach those highest levels, you have to be obsessed. And I, I became obsessed with it and ended up seeing a lot of success over that summer. Came into my senior year and um, really had that breakthrough year as the captain of the team, leading scorer, MVP, male student athlete of the year. Um, you know, left school early, right to the, the Ottawa Senators organization's American league team, the Binghamton centers and ended up signing an, an NHL deal with Ottawa after uh, my senior year. So I had all these accolades and, you know, you talk about leadership and I was put into that leadership role, I think, cause I was just a very, I think I was a loud presence, even if I wasn't always talking, I, I guess I was always a guy who was like kind of grunting and yelling and screaming on the ice, but I carried myself in a way that, you know, I was like, I could be loud and I could talk, but at the same time I could back it up. And, um, you know, I think if I could do it all over again, um, I, I would look at leadership in a different way. I would definitely look at it in a way that was more, um, I guess, more accommodating for people with different mentalities. Like I was so dialed in and so obsessed with hockey. If I saw somebody like one of my teammates who wasn't, I would say, well, why isn't that guy more like, like me? You know, instead of saying, well, what are this guy is different than me? What are his strengths? 
and weaknesses and what are my strengths and weaknesses. And, uh, I think if, if I could do that over again, and that's something I learned, you know, later on and still learning in my, my hockey career, in my, my life career, I guess, as you could say, is realizing that people are all different and you got to find, um, you know, the, the, the pros and cons, the strengths and weaknesses of each person and then fuse those together. And that's what makes a team. Cause then, you know, people are filling in gaps and you're filling in gaps and, and keep moving in a positive direction together. For sure. That's uh that's what leadership is that what that's what team sports are and that's why hockey specifically can do a lot of good for a lot of people and it it kind of sounds like it did that for you right like first you had some some awesome coaches that believed in you and gave you a shot then you went to uh to college hockey and it's almost like the coach made you mad whether he was doing it on purpose or not but it motivated you and it gave you this fire to get to the next level and then it turned into a buddy that's like hey you can actually play in the NHL if you figure it out and then I, I love what you said that in order to get to those highest levels, you need to be obsessed. Like you need to, you need to eat, sleep and breathe hockey, like whatever that shirt, I saw a shirt that said that the other day. I thought it was funny, but uh, after some time, obviously in college hockey, you made that jump right to the AHL. And then, then you went over to Europe. What went into that decision and what was that like? Yeah. So I signed an NHL deal with the Ottawa senators, went to training camp and I guess one, one part of my story that I didn't get into is like, I had built my body. I was, I was a machine, you know, six, one, two, twenty, And I was a tank out there and I had started to really, um, you know, learn the game. I really got into game film. We talk about that obsession. I got into, I got obsessed with watching my shifts and watching game film. And for me growing up, it was always just like, you get the puck and you go a million miles an hour, or if I don't have the puck, I go a million miles an hour. I run a guy and I try and take his puck. So I didn't really have much of that hockey sense. I had good skill and good ability athletically. But for me in college was a time where I really developed the mental side of my game. Um, but like on the ice, I had that. But away from the ice, I had a lot of bad habits. You know, I, you know there was a lot, of, a lot of things that weren't helping my hockey career and, and negative things of drugs and alcohol and, and that party lifestyle which is so prevalent right now in the hockey culture. And I think always has been, and that's one thing I'm, I'm trying to change now, but I lived that life. I got sucked into that. And so when I became a pro hockey player, now I had some money and, and I had that, that social status and that esteem. And I really, where hockey was number one, my senior year, which really led to all that success. Now hockey became like number three or four. And I was chasing all these other pursuits I was chasing that lifestyle and just all these things that I thought were going to bring me joy. And all the while during this time, I really, you know, so I, the body and the mind, I didn't have any of that, the spiritual side. I was, you know, just spiritually bankrupt and lost in life and didn't have a, see a bigger picture of what was really going on and really had no relationship with God. And um, I think a lot of that led to decline play. You know, I think you bring a lot of what we carry in our hearts and in our minds onto the ice with us. And I was just, you know, I, I had anxiety because I was so steeped in, in sin and all these, um, you know, just sinful things I was partaking in. And I brought that on the ice with me and I was able to, to keep covering it up and kind of live two secret, uh, two lives, one at the rink, one away from the, the rink. And, you know, by the time I realized what was going on, I, I wasn't playing much in the American League. Now I'm in the East Coast Hockey League. And the coaches, I'm an aggressive player. Like I love to check. I could have these massive checks that would change the momentum of a game. And now 
I'm being formed into this role player of a fighter, the checker fighter, fourth line guy. And I was really, I was good at fighting for whatever reason. I got long arms, I guess. And kind of that aggressive nature, that fire in me. It's that karate. Can you start with karate? karate, (laughs) All karate chops. So, but I was terrified to do it. And I was so scared. It would, the fear was, it would just consume me and it would, it would eat at me. And I, I would cover that up with alcohol and, um, you know, just living this unhealthy way and living in fear. And I think, you know, looking back on it, it's hard to say when, I, if I really look in, inside, I like to be honest with my story. And um, that was a big reason of me leaving and going to Europe. So like I knew there wasn't fighting in Europe. And I knew that if I wanted to be in the AHL or the NHL, I knew I'd have to be a fighter. And I just went over to Europe and, and was able to play hockey and, you know, fell in love with hockey again. And, but at the same time, really fell in love with my, my desires of, of chasing, you know, chasing the party. And, um, it was over, I played for the Belfast giants. And then I played for, um, yes. And in the Slovenian league. And it was right at that moment that I, I met my wife. So I met this girl, Samantha back in Wisconsin. I came home and I met this girl in my hometown and I was like, I, I love this girl. I want to marry this girl. And, and that's when things started to change for me. I was like, you know what? I don't want to be living this party life anymore. I don't want to be steeped in all this immorality and, you know, chasing the buzz all the time. I want to be, I want to really do this right as a boyfriend to this girl and eventually a husband. And, and so I started thinking these things and that's when I was overseas in Europe where everything looked great. Like all my Facebook and Instagram pictures look so cool. You're traveling around and seeing these castles in Austria and all this stuff. But inside, if I really looked in my heart, I had an emptiness where I wasn't, I was never fulfilled. I was never satisfied. And I had a regret that I had given up on my NHL dream and I gave up on it because I knew that I was scared to fight. So I got really mad. I was feeling a lot of anger and resentment right at this time in my life. And this was really the cusp of when things started to change. And so then you, you, you played there for a little bit. You're having all this kind of stuff. It's, it seems like a major theme in your career is like, you're just, you got to climb these ranks and even like, even not only from like junior hockey, from the, from tier three to the USHL, from being a healthy scratch in college team captain from in the East coast, but even like on, on the team, right. From like fourth line, second line, third line, all the way up to first line. And then it eventually ended with you coming back to, to the NHL, AHL. What, I mean, you want to jump into that? I mean, because you played a game in the the NHL. You were the the oldest oldest rookie, which is crazy to me. Like, I mean, you, it's crazy that you played a game in the NHL, right? Like, that's the top of the top. Not everybody gets to do that, and nobody. I don't know if there is there anyone else that had their rookie debut even south of thirty. Like, what was it? like? Talk about that and gloat about it a little bit, because I mean, playing in the NHL is not your everyday thing. Yeah, so I mean. It- the story, I mean, I could, I don't know how much time we have. If you could carve out like an eight hour window, I could tell you the whole story, but I mean, I was over there and I'm having these feelings. I'm having this resentment in me and I'm this anger. I'm like, why did I give up? I signed that NHL deal with Ottawa. Like I was right there. I was at, I played two exhibition games. I played against the Montreal Canadians. I played against the Toronto Maple Leafs and, and I was having all these feelings. I'm like, what am I doing? I'm just wasting my time over here. And I really, I knew what my, what my destiny was, but I, it was all about facing that fear. And for me, um, and hopefully this is encouraging to somebody out there. I, I had this, this, um, nicotine addiction of chewing tobacco that I carried with me for 11 years, starting in high school at age 16, 17, and I'm 28 years old now. And I am hopelessly 
and utterly addicted to chewing tobacco. I'm just addicted. I can't, it's all I think about. It's all, it's the only thing that brings me comfort to, to, to take care of this unease that I have in my heart. And so the contract, I don't get a contract the next year in the Austrian league and things are, you know, I'm like, oh, I was planning to have this European career and I feel like life's falling apart. I come back to America to, to figure things out. And all of a sudden I have a, a spot on the inside of my cheek right in here. And it, it looks pretty nasty. It's like this circular white pussy, violent looking bloody speck about the size of a dime on the inside of my cheek. And I'm like, Oh man, this isn't good. I show my girlfriend. She's like, Oh, this isn't good. She's like, you got to show your mom. I'm like, mom, look, who, my mom's a nurse. I show her. She's like, this is not good. Like you got to go to a doctor. I'm like, all right, I go to a doctor and he's like, listen, Bobby, we got to take a biopsy on that. And and see if it's cancerous. And I, they're like, you know, so they, I'm freaking out. They, they clip a piece of my cheek out and it's, you know, a four or five day wait for a biopsy. And I'm thinking like, I'm either going to get half my face cut off or I'm going to die. And like, if I could be honest, like maybe I'd rather just not be around instead of having my face cut off. So I hit this really low part in my life. I remember I walked out of that hospital. I looked up at the clouds and I just said, Oh, if you get me out of this one, please just get me out of this one. And by the grace of God, I was able to, I didn't know it then. I thought it was all my own strength, but I was able to quit tobacco. And, um, you know, for anybody who is addicted, it's a th the, the best process is three days, cold Turkey, you grind through the hardest three days of your life, 72 hours. Tobacco has a short half-life. That's why people need it every hour on the hour. And after three days, it's out of your bloodstream and then starts the, just the mental grind and learning how to cope with, with life without, um, this crutch that I'd been having for 11 years. And so I was able to quit tobacco. And after three years or after three months or, you know, two months or something, I just had this fog lift off of me. I felt amazing. And that moment of quitting tobacco was really this huge catalyst in my life where I started thinking, I was like, man, if I can quit tobacco, I can do anything. And I was, I'm 29 years old now and four years into my pro career. And I started having this itch. I'm like, man, I was right there. I'm, I'm thinking about the NHL. I'm like, why didn't I fight? Why was I scared to fight? And finally, I'm like, you know what? If I can quit tobacco, I can make it to the NHL and I can fight my way to the NHL at 29 years old. And so I just made this commitment. I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make a serious run for the NHL. I'm going to give it two years. I know I'm going to have to start in the East Coast Hockey League. Nobody, you know, nobody is willing to give me a chance at this point. I'm already 29 and, um, you know, spent the last two years over in Europe come back to the Bakersfield Condors and, and just really had two aspects of my game. I was developing hockey wise over here, which, you know, encompassed health, nutrition, training. And then I was developing hockey fighting skills as well. So I was training MMA and boxing and I was like, I'm just going to really do this. So at the East coast level, I'm, I'm just talent wise. I'm like a first, second line guy, specialty teams guy. So I played a regular shift, a lot of playing minutes. And then I would just fight. I would fight the, the heavyweight on the other team. And I knew that for me, fighting was, if I wanted to get good at fighting, I knew I'd have to fight everybody. And that's the best way to get good at something. You just do it a lot. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to fight 20, 30 times a year. And really uh, uh, hone that skill that year out in Bakersfield. And that next year I was in the East Coast Hockey League in Chicago, uh, worked out a trade just to be closer to home. And then um, that, was, that was it. I gave it two years and nothing was happening at Christmas. And finally, I just said, all right, like, I'm, I'm going to give it everything I have. And just, just poured out every single game, everything I had, went to war every night, and then ended up getting called up to the Providence Bruins. Uh, 
right after Christmas. And I'm a 30 year old now. And, and just to see that I could get back to the American league was, was amazing enough. And uh, I just really stuck, you know, the, the Bruins fans and Providence really took to me and I was out there just playing hard nose hockey and fighting and taking the puck hard to the net and just playing, you know, playing with that reckless abandon that they love there and ended up really establishing myself there in the American league. Um, you know, during that first year and then the next year I signed an, Amer- an American league contract and I'm so excited. I'm like, man, I'm back in the American league. I hadn't been there since my rookie year with the Binghamton senators five, six years ago. And I'm, I'm the oldest, I'm the oldest guy on the team or second oldest guy on the team. And I'm just getting my foot back in the door. And I find out that it's, uh, it's the lockout. The NHL is, has a lockout and there's going to be a, all the NHL guys are going to trickle down to the American league. The American league guys are going to trickle down to the East coast and I'll never forget the uh, training camp we had that year. The NHL was locked out. We were in Providence, Rhode Island, and all the Boston Bruins brass was there watching in this little rink, 146 it's called, this little rink in uh, Smithfield, Rhode Island. And people were like all huddled around and talking. They're like, man, there's like, there's like 15 right wingers here, and they're only taking five. And so-and-so is on an NHL contract, and this guy's here. And I was like, huh, I was listening. I had that same feeling that I had my freshman year in college. I was like, oh, yeah, these guys are playing the numbers game. It's like, I'm not playing the numbers game. At this point, I was, you know, I was a tough dude. So I was like, you know what? You want to take my roster spot? You come and try and take it from me because I'm going to run you over and then I'm going to back it up if you want to, if you want to dance, you know? So that's the mentality I had going in there and ended up playing that full year aside from a few suspensions um, for hits and other things. Too hard. Yeah, <laughs> I played that full year, that lockout year, and I ended up leading the entire earth in hockey fights with 41 fighting majors. Oh, so, so and I just got really good at fighting and established myself against some heavyweights in that league and really got good at hockey as well. And uh, ended up signing a two year deal with Boston before that season even ended at, at 31 years old, which was pretty amazing. And then, you know, I was like, this is happening. At this point, I really became a good pro. Like, I realized how to be a pro athlete. I was a mess before. I was living that party lifestyle, chasing everything else except for, uh, you know, chasing the, the hockey dream. But now I got dialed in. Now I got married. I married this girl that I met a few years ago, Samantha. Now we had a one-year-old baby. And I'm like, I'm, I'm going for this. I'm making the NHL. I'm changing the trajectory of my life and my family forever. Come into that first year my contract and um, blew out a, a tendon in my knee, tore an MCL on my knee last shift in a preseason game. Never really got back, um, played that full year in the, uh, in the American league with the Providence Bruins, you know, hoping to get the call up, nothing happened. So now I'm 32 years old. I'm like, this is it. And, and over that year, I really got even better at fighting and even better at hockey where I finally, I, I became a legitimate pro. Like I was the real deal and I was ready and came into my second year of that contract, I'm 32 years old. And I was like, nobody's taking this from me. Like, Chara, you want to come take this from me? I'll, <laughs> I'll jump and I'll try and smack you in the face. Like, nobody's taking this from me. And I go into camp and just played awesome and, you know, played my role. Really, really became that role player, that fourth line checker who was dependable in the defensive zone, who could get the puck out and get it to the net. But then when it came down to it, you know, could really change the momentum of a game with a hit or a fight and came into training camp and they announced training camp. I made the team out of camp, became the oldest rookie to ever make an NHL opening day roster. 
yeah, 32 years old, about oh. I think, days before I turned 33. That's Second awesome. oldest guy on the team behind Chara. <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome yeah Good boys well hey i you know you brought something up uh the the beginning of that 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 part was you brought up quitting the tobacco and that you know i i'm i appreciate you bringing that up because i think you're the first guest to to address that that we've had on this show yet and i think that's a you know like that is a part of the hockey culture in the locker rooms the chewing tobacco and and uh and i think it's an important thing for young athletes to hear that you know someone like yourself that found success after kicking that. So one, I appreciate you bringing that up Two, I want to jump into, um, because I, I think that's a really important message for the kids. So thank you for that. But two, I, I want to jump into what you're doing now. So you, you re you reached your dream. You, you changed the trajectory of your life. Like you said, you made it to the NHL. Um, and you know, at some point you decided that it was time to hang up the skates and, and you've transitioned into life after, being a player now you're still involved with the game you're still involved with hockey but let's talk about what you're like you know you made that transition and what you're doing now within the game and working with younger players yeah definitely i think i mean looking back on it where i'm at now it's just it's a miracle really but um looking at that transition it was a hard transition you know my you know my story is just it's my story and i spent a lot of years with a lot of regret and wondering why it happened but after making the nhl i was like this is it life changed. Here we go. And after three games in the NHL, I got a concussion that ended my career and it just sent me into a, a massive spiral. And I, I mentor and coach players now who are dealing with concussions. And so I have a huge heart for real big heart for addicts, people who, who are addicted to chewing tobacco and other drugs, and also a big heart for people who are dealing with mental issues, especially ones that stem from concussions. Cause I had that and I, I went into a, a spiral, a downward spiral of, you know, drug and alcohol abuse. My career is over now. Um, post-concussion syndrome, depression. I experienced depression for the first time and suicidal thoughts, suicidality, I guess they call it. And, and just in this dark pit and it was in that pit hockey's over and everything got exposed in my life. I was like, I really have no identity for the last I finally figured it out. Like I'm a, I'm an NHL fighter. I'm a Boston Bruin. That's what I am. That's my identity. And thought I had life figured out and achieved the, the highest level that the world has to offer. And just like that, boom, it was taken away in an instant. And now I had no identity and had nothing. I was just lost. And so it was about a year of, of really difficult times, you know, dealing with, with uh, residual concussion symptoms and, really just having a, a complete mental collapse and, um, you know, just the darkest places. So I know that, you know, people in hockey have been to those places and have, have killed themselves and it's an issue in hockey. And part of my story is just being open to talk about that and say, listen, like I've been through this and now I know why I went through all these difficult things. You know, I didn't know what, why it was happening then, but, you know, I, I know that God had a bigger picture for my life with how he's using me now, um, which I'll get to in, in one second. But that transition for me, I was in that dark pit and I had nothing, had no identity, spiritually bankrupt and was just lost in life. And that's where I, I picked up a Bible for the first time and I read the gospel. I heard the good news about Jesus Christ, that he could wash me as white as snow and, and wash away my sin. And all the while this is happening, my sin, God's really showing me how sinful I am and all the ways that I've fallen short of his perfect standard. And so I read that gospel that Jesus Christ died for sinners on the cross, rose from the dead three days later, 
and takes my sin so that I can receive his righteousness, being the propitiation for my sin to appease the wrath of God for my sin. And I'm like, this is crazy. If this is true, this is the craziest thing ever. This can't be true. And so um, something just drew me to reading the Bible and reading through Genesis and reading through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and hearing the good news. And eventually I went through, uh, I had a Christian conversion. Um, I, one day I was in the, the, de- uh, the high desert in Colorado and I felt the blinders get lifted off of me. And it's a long story. I've told my testimony. If you guys want to listen to the Sports Spectrum podcast, I really get into it. But I started having this, um, having this conversion where I was like, this is true. This is, this is crazy. And I was, I was addicted to, to drugs at the time and just kind of numbing the pain of my life and my failed, my failed hockey career, this injury. And it was in that place where I met God and I ended up getting lost out in Colorado out in the woods and I was dehydrated and I was exhausted and I was losing consciousness out in the woods. And I was like, I'm going to die out here. And it was the most terrifying moment of my life. And I had this mountaintop experience where I realized I was going to die out there and this is real and, I, and I'm going to go to hell and, and God's real. And this, why is this happening to me? So I dropped down onto my knees and I just called out to God and I, I said, God, I give my life to you. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I believe that he rose from the dead three days later. And after I called upon the name of the Lord, a big ray of light came down and shined on a tree at the bottom of the mountain. And all I knew was I had to get to that tree and I clawed my way to that tree. I had nothing left in the tank. And behind it was the path that I had gotten lost from. And, you know, that's where really my new life started. I got born again. I got, I got saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And um, from that moment on, all my life's priorities changed. And I was like, well, I had all these big plans before, but I've laid down my life now. And I, I want God to take over my life. And that is an amazing place to get to. So that's one thing that... Now I'm in sports ministry. The transition into that was, was a, a long one for me. It was a lot of growing in the word of God and reading the Bible and really gr- growing in my knowledge. And I'm an all-in kind of guy. Like whatever I'm doing, I'm, if I'm fighting, I'm fighting 40, 41 times in a season, you know? And I think that's the way God made me. And so I just really progressed quickly in my knowledge and my biblical knowledge. And I ended up coaching over in Spain in the Spanish National Ice Hockey League, the the Pro League in Spain. And it was my first time kind of back. Like I, I finally got over this injury. I finally got out of this pit and I'm coaching over there. And all the while I'm growing in my faith and I'm seeing these guys and I'm like, yeah, hockey is good. I know how to coach hockey, but what am I doing these with these guys? Am I, am I telling them the, them the truth? Am I telling them about Jesus? Because that's really important. So I was having these mixed feelings and emotions and and all of a sudden I came to the realization, I was like, ministry is something that I want. I'm not only do I want to be doing, and it's the only thing I want to be doing. It's what I'm called to be doing. And I didn't know what that looked like. I was like, you know, God, do you want me to be a pastor? Like, what do I do? And then I realized that you could fuse hockey with faith. And that's what led me into sports ministry. And so now I'm a, a full-time commission uh, minister with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes Hockey and, you know, to, to sum it up, it's, you know, trying to use everything that I've learned through hockey and through uh, my faith development to impact the hockey world for Jesus and to teach players um, how to become the best players they can be, how to become the best young men and young women they can be. Uh, but more importantly, what is their relationship with God through Jesus Christ and nurturing and facilitating that. And so that's where I'm at now. I'm at 
um, FCA hockey headquarters in Alexandria, Minnesota, um, halfway between Fargo and St. Cloud. We have an incredible $11 million facility here that was all donated by my Christian donors here. And um, it's, it's an amazing place. We run a school called the North Star Christian Academy. So every day I'm able to mentor 48 young men from 14 to 18 years old. And now looking back, I went through, I went through everything that uh, a young man, I think, and a hockey player can experience good and bad. I went through a lot of the bad. I took a lot of bumps along the way. And I never knew why that was happening. But now I realize it was all part of me being molded into this position that I'm in now to, 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 to be able to help these young men. I, I work mostly with young men, how to develop them and their hockey and their faith. So hockey and faith development. That's what I'm doing now. Like, I want you to be a good hockey player. I want you to make the NHL. But listen, there's, a, there's 600 guys who make the NHL. Like, there's a lot of people who make the NHL. Are you going to make an impact when you get there? And who's getting the glory? Are you taking that glory? Is it just, to, is it just for that trophy? Or are you playing that, that sport that you've been gifted to play to glorify God and to bring people um, to him and to, to increase that awareness and knowledge of Jesus Christ? So that's, that's where I'm at now, and that's how God's using me. And I can't believe that um, if you would have asked you know, me five years ago when I was just fighting, I was a hockey player, my nickname was The Savage, and man, I was dialed in. I was dialed in. I was ready to go to war. I was ready to die for it. And, you know, there was a, a, a big part of me that did die and uh, rose to new life with Jesus and, and found my faith in God. So now that's how God's using me. I know you guys are doing a great job, especially there in Alexandria. I've gotten the chance to come up there over there, I guess, and coach a little bit. And the facility is unbelievable. But I think who fills the facility and the, the schedule and the the way you you guys are running that is it's fun. It was fun to be a part of them. I hope to come back again and again and again just because it's awesome. It's awesome. So keep doing what you're doing there. Um, we'll we'll obviously link all that stuff in the bio so you can check it out. But before we kind of wrap this this episode up, we always like to talk about just advice, and we try to get away from you know have fun, enjoy the game, that kind of stuff because we know we know you have to do that, but. What's some advice that you'd give to, to youth hockey? Let's start with players that, that want to get to that higher level and want to do something more with the game. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a couple different layers to it. Like, man, you, you got to work. If you work hard every day, if you take incremental steps every day, starting at age 10, wherever you're at as a player or age 15, if you take incremental steps every day and implement five things today that you can do that are going to take you closer to that, like, Okay, five things I can do. I can drink a gallon of water today and stay hydrated. I can get dialed in on my nutrition and I can find out what my macros are for my body type and I can, you know, eat the right fuel for my body. I can take recovery seriously. I can foam roll. I can stretch. I can do cold tubs. You know, instead of sitting around at night for a half an hour watching TV or YouTube or whatever you do, do that, but be rolling out on a foam roller for a half an hour a night. When I was playing, it was an hour standard at least every night. So those are, those are four things you can be doing. Can you be doing, can you be watching the NHL? Are you watching it as a fan or are you watching it and saying, all right, I'm a right winger. I'm watching this guy here. Uh, I'm picturing me out there. I'm like, how am I going to make that play? You know, when I was coming up through the ranks, I was watching Sean Thornton. He was the fourth line right winger on the Boston Bruins. And I'm watching him. I'm watching how he makes plays. I'm watching his fights. I'm like, man, I want to be this type of player. How do I do that? So I'm picturing myself out there. 
So those are five things. If I'm like, all right, if I'm a young player, those are five things I'm going to do daily. And then when it, and when it comes to coming to the rink and getting my sleep, I'm just going to control all that I can control and get like that millimeter incrementally, that little tiny step. I'm going to take that today. I'm going to take it tomorrow. And over the course of a, a week and a month and a year, and you will improve for sure. I don't know what, I don't know what the, the talent level is that each individual player has, but if you do that, you will improve. And wherever you're at on whatever team you're on, your stock will rise on that team. It's, it's a proven formula for sure. Um, so that's kind of one layer of it. Another layer of it now with, with the knowledge that I have is why are you playing? Like, why are you playing hockey? Cause it's, it sure takes a, a lot of time and energy and, and to reach the higher levels, it's an obsession. Like, are you, are you, what are you chasing? Are you chasing glory? Are you chasing money? Are you chasing that scholarship? I would just encourage people you know, young people, all people that we we're so good at the body mind part. Like we know how to, we know how to train. We know how to take care of our bodies. Now we, you know, you can go on YouTube and find out nutrition plans, recipes. You know how to take care of your body. We know how to take care of our mind. We know now different, different ways the mind works. We know how to have hockey sense and how to train that. So yeah, if you have your body mind, that might take you there. You might make it. But if you can combine the spirit aspect of that body, mind, spirit through a relationship with God, through Jesus Christ and his Bible that he gave us, man, that's a whole different kind of athlete right there. And so our guys at North Star here, uh, North Star Christian Academy, the Knights, that's the type of hockey player we're trying to develop. Somebody who is playing for a higher purpose. You know, the, the, the buzz word is like, I'm here for the reason, not the season, you know, kind of cheesy but but for real like are you here for the reason are you here for just this season and so and i would just really urge you to look into not just the body not just to mind but to look into the spiritual side of things and explore the reality of jesus christ and um, grow in that because then if if i'm playing hockey i wish i could do it over again man imagine if i'm a hockey player with all the attributes i have this a dangerous four checker tough as nails but if i'm doing that without that fear I played my entire career in fear, fear of failure, fear of getting hurt, fear of the next fight I was going to have, fear of am I going to be in the lineup. And I, I mentor and, and coach and work with all kinds of players from all different levels. I was just talking to an NHL player um, a couple days ago, and he's a Christian. And he's like, man, it's his first year in the league. you know. And he's like, I have no anxiety. He's like, I don't, I'm not worried about anything. Like God has let me play in the NHL. This is why I'm here for whatever reason. And it's, to, it's to glorify him. I talk to other people and, and for myself who play at the higher levels and at really at any level and have such anxiety and fear about hockey. And, and am I going to make a mistake? Like what's happening, but man, you know, who the sun sets free, he's free indeed. And, and I've seen people just set free through faith in Jesus Christ. And I've been set free as well. And I, you know, I wish I could go back and do it as a hockey player now and look at my, my team as a mission field of people who I need to, you know, tell this good news to, but you know, this is what I'm doing now and hopefully inspiring um, younger players to do that. And I'm, I'm working with, like I said, guys in the NHL who are doing that, who, you know, and when they get that Stanley cup, instead of hoisting it, like we see every year on TV and guys swearing and, and, you know, saying dropping f-bombs like we're waiting for that one guy to say man 
all glory goes to God with this. He gave me all my talent. Jesus gets all the glory for this. And there are people in the NHL who I speak to and, and mentor who are planning for that. Like, I hope I get that moment. That's a whole different kind of athlete right there. That's a whole different yeah. kind of being. Yeah, that's, that's eye-opening. I think that's just a matter of time, like you said, that, that that'll happen and that that type of mindset, especially with good guys like you in our game, leaving it better than you found it. So we, we appreciate you coming on. We know, we know life's busy, especially with the way the world is now, but it's always good to get some time to connect. And I look forward to, to having you on again and, and connecting again. But before we do let you go, um, any, any final thoughts or anything you just want to leave the people with? Yeah, I think the, the final thought is, is, there, is, hockey, is hockey it? No. Is this it? Or is there, a, is there something bigger going on? You know, is hockey a distraction in my life? Is hockey an idol in my life? Or is hockey a vehicle in my life that I'm going to use to be the person who God wants me to be? And that's, you know, that might not settle well with some people, but that's, that's the truth as far as I found it. And I would be doing you a massive disservice if I didn't tell you the truth. So that's what's so important to me is, is developing hockey plus faith. Mm-hmm. They go hand in hand. And I don't think you can have one without the other to have a full, a full functioning human being and a full functioning hockey player. So hockey plus faith development, that's what I do now. And um, one way people can follow along with me is if you just go to my website, bobbyrobbins.com. I do, um, I'm in sports ministry here. I also do mentorships um, in hockey and faith development. So if anybody's looking to explore more of what that looks like, definitely check that out because I've seen lives transformed by people who, who didn't know anything about this and explored it or for people who just thought like, you know, Oh yeah, that, that Christian stuff. Like I, I go to church on Sunday, but when they really dive in and find out what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, it has been transformative for the, each person, their families and for their hockey careers. For sure. And I was just gonna, I was gonna get to that where people can find you. We'll link that website and we'll be sure to tag everything when we, when we do drop this episode. But, uh, we appreciate you coming on, Coach. Um, before you do go, you got to give us a let's go. Thought you'd never ask, man. <laughs> let's go. Yeah. Love it. Awesome. Well, thanks. Thanks Bobby for coming Robbins. on, Coach. We, we appreciate your time. Thanks, guys. It was awesome. Love it. Great talking with you. Thanks for sharing your story, Bobby. God bless you guys. Thanks so much. Take care. Huge thanks to Bobby Robbins for coming on the show today. I I truly appreciate him coming on, opening up, telling his hockey story, telling his story off ice, finding faith, and and talking about his his work with young players, NHL players too, older players, but specifically working with uh, the younger players he's mentoring. So, Bobby, thank you for coming and joining us today, sharing your story. I think it's it's a great message you're putting out there. Danny, I think we jump into the three stars of the night. You ready for this? Three, star, three stars. I'm ready. I got a text message from a buddy the other day. He's like, I've listened to 90% of the episodes and the 10% I haven't. He's like, I, I usually just fast forward to this part and see if I can hear those three stars. So it's cool. Yeah. He doesn't want to um, listen to you and I talking. He just wants yeah, to hear the, the takeaways. Wants the three stars. But uh, yeah, for this one, number three is just the idea of, of how much a coach can impact you. Like he talked about one believing him, one inspiring him, one kind of getting him upset. And so Coaches out there, if you're listening, the impact you have is more than you think. So take 
take advantage of that and make sure you're steering those hockey players in the right directions because that game's going to be over for them sooner or later. And they want to, we want to make sure that they're coming out of hockey the best way they can possible. So love that, love that little nugget, just finding a coach that believes in them. So that was awesome. And then I, I just loved when he talked about the skill of fighting. Like I haven't heard that. I, I knew sky. I mean, fighting is a skill. I, I fought twice in my career. I went Oh, one and one that zero wins, one loss, one tie. Uh, and I gave the tie to myself, but, uh, it's, it is hard to do. And he talked about, he trained for that. Like he had his hockey side and then he's like, okay, I'm going to train MMA. I'm going to train, uh, I don't know, karate, he did some karate early on. And so I thought just the idea of taking that mindset into anything you're doing, if it's the business world, like train your skills and get better at them and do them all the time. He said, if you, you want to get better at fighting, you led the league in fights that year. So that's uh, those are my two biggest takeaways, Coach. First star, what do you got? I know I'm I'm debating between three different pieces here, and I think what I'm going to go and I'm going to kind of try to work all these in. But the uh, my biggest thing I think is just having um, passion for what what you're doing, and I think he's a good example of that. Is that you know at the beginning of, of the interview he talked about the importance of getting incrementally better every day and every practice, yep. and you know you look at the big picture of his career, and he was just passionate and obsessed with reaching the NHL and getting better and, and climbing those ladders from every step of the way that he's gone. And, and, you know, without that passion and that burning desire to do it, I don't think uh, that would have been possible. And then, you know, at the end of the interview, we talked a lot about his, his faith and it's very obvious uh, that he's very passionate and, and obsessed with, with his, his religion and his, his faith in, in the Lord. And, um, you know, so I think that's an important, you know, that's obviously a huge piece of who he is and why, you know, why he does what he does with his life. And I think that that passion is the fuel behind all of that. Um, and I think that's an important piece for the listeners is, is whatever your, your choices are in life. I think that if you have a passion for what you're doing, you're going to find yourself going on the right path and, and in a, in a successful path for you personally. So I think that's a huge thing. Now I'm going to add on top of the passion as the number one start, I'm going to add a second little, little disclaimer here. And I mentioned this briefly in there. I, I really, I, I guess I just really appreciate him bringing up the topic of chewing tobacco. And yes, the, I was hoping you'd talk about that. So I don't, you know, I, I, this is worth mentioning because, you know, I'm, I'm coaching college hockey. I'm working with junior hockey players. You're working with, with player, you know, we're both working with players from age five to 25 and everything in between. Right. And no matter, and, it just kills me when I see that that chewing tobacco still is such a prevalent piece of that, yep. you know, late high school, junior hockey, even even college hockey and beyond thing. And like they're really, in my opinion, like I don't chew tobacco. I don't use that like tobacco at all, but it's such a dangerous thing. And it's such a, a piece of the hockey culture in certain areas and age demographics that, that really just shouldn't be. And so I really hope that anybody that's that's out there that is using chewing tobacco, like think twice about that. Um, you know, think about what you're really, is it really worth it? And if you're trying to quit and having troubles, like maybe reaching out to Bobby is not the worst thing. Um, yeah. you know, and he, he, he kicked it and he saw a lot of benefits from that. So I think that, you know, it just kills me when I see my players I work with that pop a chew in after the game, I just think there's better, there's better ways to, uh, you know, spend that money and better ways to, to, to kind of get that satisfaction and then popping yeah. a chew in and dealing with the, the health risks afterwards. So it's the first time we've mentioned it on our show. So I, I just want to circle back on that. I think it's uh, personally, you know, people might disagree with me, but I, I hate seeing young athletes th throw that chew in in the locker room and 
let's get away from it. For sure. I mean, I, I went through it. I, I chewed for a number of years through my junior and a little bit into my college career. And I, I don't know if I was lucky enough to kick it or I was lucky enough to kick it and it, it was tough, but you know, I haven't done that in a long, long time. And it's, it's crazy. Like I still have some buddies that are doing it and we're, we're well into our thirties now. And so it's, it's, I've never heard anybody that, that I've talked to like that were like, yeah, I'm so fired up that I started chewing when I was 15. Like you don't hear that. So yeah, it's something, it's something that needs to be talked about. It's something that is part of our culture and it, it does not need to be. There's literally zero benefits and a lot of negatives about it. So there's uh, I appreciate coach Robbins talking about that. And yeah, if you want to reach out to him, he's no uh, chemical health counselor. I don't want to put that tag on him, but he, he has been through it. He's got experience and he, he can definitely help in a lot of good ways. So make sure you check him out. Appreciate you coming on. Shout out to Hockey Wolf for all the stuff they've been doing for us, hooking us up with some unbelievable swag as well. I wear my coat every single day, but uh, yeah, that's what I that's what I got going on, Coach. Any any final thoughts? Closing words? Uh, final thoughts? I think I think it was a great interview. I hope people give it give it a listen, and uh, and and you know, I have a feeling that some people listening are gonna are gonna take some some strong takeaways in his faith and the importance of that. And so I, I highly encourage people that, you know, if you're feeling, um, you know, if his message resonates with you, I highly encourage you to, to reach out to him and we'll have the contact information below. And, um, you know, I think this is, this is an episode where, yeah, it's fun talking about getting to the NHL, but I think there's a lot of advice that was laid out there that is, is life advice. And there's, there's more to life than just hockey, even though like, hockey is life. Like I'm obsessed with it. So are you, but, and hopefully I, I think most of the listeners are like hockey is life, but the bigger thing is there's more to life than just hockey. It's just a big, great piece of it. So with that, that I sure. think uh, I'm fired up for the next episode. I hope everybody has a great week. Thanks for listening. Make sure you share this with your, your uh, teammates and your, your friends and your players and your parents, fellow coaches, get the word out there and reach out to us. If you have anything that we can uh, help you with. Let's go. Let's go.